As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm joined now by Alex Stewart. Good afternoon, Joe. Good afternoon, Alex. How are you? Uh, yeah, tolerably well, thank you. Yes. Good news weekend, wasn't it? Uh yes, I what I are you referring to Southampton or not sure if I'm allowed to specifically refer to anything, but it right. was a good news weekend. Yes. Anyway, okay. it's it's a good news day for listeners because we're here now, so everything's fine. Don't worry, you can shake off that uh, nervousness. You're not an anxious wreck anymore. You're with me, Joe. You're with Alex Stewart, and we're going to talk about uh, Manchester City and Liverpool. We're also going to talk about some other teams as it relates to to systems. We're going to have a broad chat, a broad chatter um, about uh, about football teams in the Premier League at the moment. So if you're not interested in that, then leave now because we will not, we won't be going on any tangents today. I would like to also say that if you do like tangents, then <laughs> I don't think that one works. But uh, you should visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. That's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, uh, where you can currently get The Athletic or full access to The Athletic for £1 per week. That's just £1 per week. What a deal! Goodness gracious me. Uh, it really, really is very, very good. Uh, I, I also, I love my favorite thing about working here, Alex. I don't know if you enjoy this, is watching the Slack channels with all the uh, all the not to be distributed news uh, and then seeing the process go all the way through from the beginning uh, with the sort of quotes from sources dumped in and all the stuff and then uh, seeing the piece come out at the end, being there for the whole process and being absolutely no part of it other than a silent observer and then spending days worrying about what I am and aren't allowed to say on the podcast. <laughs> and how I separate in my mind. Uh, don't say this. Don't say this bit. That's no, no, no. You'll get yourself in trouble. You'll get someone else in trouble. Don't say that. A uh, lot of fun. Yeah. I kind of was a tangent. Uh, but anyway, uh, The Athletic uh, has a, a, a large number of exceptional journalists who appear to know everybody in the world. So if you want uh, the first stop, and I would say also when it is the last stop, it's the most official and fullest stop on any news story in uh, in football, particularly the Premier League, or indeed MLS, lots of uh, American journalists, as they call them over there, or indeed 10 other sports. Frankly speaking, for sports journalism, it is the best place to be, and I'm a proud, proud proud man to be part of this organization that's theathletic.com forward slash tifo and alex and i will be dragging it down uh, slowly uh, bit by bit over the next uh, series of years uh anyway i will now leave you in the warm hands <clears throat> well 
the kind of coal and stale hands and the never ever embrace of Alex Stewart. Right, let's begin with Liverpool. I watched the game when it was live. You watched the game afterwards when it was not live. Kind of worked out interestingly because I got to send you some thoughts uh, and then you got to to watch with those thoughts in mind. The first thought was, and it's very possible that I have missed them doing this in the past, so don't take my word as gospel, please. But Liverpool seemed to be defending in a 4-4-2 in this game and I don't think I've seen them do that before. Uh, So I wanted to ask you, firstly... Why were they doing that? And uh, have you noticed them doing it before? So Liverpool did used to use a four-two-three-one uh, a little bit more. Um, this is when when Klopp first started, uh, and one of the natural things to do with a four-two-three-one is to create a, a mid block or a low block. Uh, and just to remind listeners, when we talk about a mid or low block, what that means is the area of the pitch that it occurs in, so the middle third or the defensive third. The natural thing there is to push the attacking midfielder further up slightly, drop the two wide players back, uh, and you create what kind of does look like a 4-4-2 shape. So it's not entirely new for Liverpool. However, obviously, they have been very, very closely associated with a 4-3-3 for quite some time now. And the the good thing about a 4-3-3 mid-block is that it allows the two wide players to either target the fullbacks or to target the the passing lane between the centre backs and the fullbacks, so it's quite a natural formation to use if you're playing against a back four and you want to stop ball rotation occurring among that back four. Obviously, it puts quite an onus on the forward to be able to to try and guard both of those centre backs or even push forwards onto the goalkeeper, but it does make sense. Having said that, situationally, you will see fourth. 4-3-3 teams defend in a 4-4-2 because sometimes if, for example, the opposition fullback on one side has managed to push higher, then it does make sense for the wider player on that side to drop back a little bit. So, yes, I think it was it was probably a, a reasonable departure for Liverpool, but it's not something that's totally alien to them. Okay. Well, the other thing we saw in this game was, and we have seen this before, but uh, this is an indication that uh, this appears to either be a preferred setup or, as you say, situationally for this game. Uh, Liverpool now have a front four rather than a front three. And uh, Diogo Jota is uh, the new player there, who in this game appeared, certainly when they were defending, to be on the right wing of that, with Mane on the left and Salah and Firmino up the front. Firstly, what do you think of his introduction into into the team over the last uh, few games? Because there's quite a lot of excitement about it, isn't there? And in, in, in a way, he appears to have, or at least, you know, the system, whether it's system-wise or personnel-wise, it appears to, in certain cases, improved a, a front, a forward line that you didn't really think could be improved. Yeah, well, you can always, I guess, improve a forward line by adding volume to it, in, insofar as, you know, obviously you're taking a player away from somewhere else on the pitch, and Liverpool therefore had a double pivot in this instance. But... When you're looking at a team like Liverpool that likes to try and play these quick interchange vertical passes, having an additional player in the mix for that is something which is very helpful. It's one of the reasons that why 
when Liverpool played a 4-3-3 but played uh, either Naby Keita or Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain on the right-hand side of that three, you would see that right-hand side midfielder advancing into positions to create a kind of staggered 4-2-4 because then you get more penetration, you get more passing options, it's easier to recycle the ball further up the pitch. I think in, in this instance, part of the efficacy was that it allowed Liverpool to try uh, and put two men in front of the passing lane between the centre-backs and Man City's double pivot yeah. uh, of Rodri and Gundogan. And so if they can't get the ball, the theory was kind of, the, you know, the rest of the team, specifically De Bruyne, couldn't get the ball either. So there was there was partly a tactical reason in that regard. But I also think it's an instance of a, of a player in, in Jota coming in and just doing really, really well. At the same time, Jurgen Klopp has this very strong relationship with Firmino. Firmino has been integral to the way that Liverpool press. He's a very, very good link-up player. He's able to play in the lines between the midfield and the attack superbly. And so Klopp's kind of thinking, well, we don't want to drop him because he's really important, but we've also got this guy who keeps scoring goals. How do we integrate those in? And it's like I say, you know, Liverpool have played a four-two-three-one before, um, not that much recently, but it has it has happened a couple of times last season when, uh, for example, Shakiri was in playing, and uh, you know, it it made a lot of sense in in this regard. Are they going to continue to use it going forwards? I think that depends a lot on whether Jota maintains his form on the degree to which that front three needs rotation, because obviously, you know, you you are now, if you're Liverpool, in a position to be able to rest uh, Sadio Mane or, or Mo Salah, which was kind of impossible previously, uh, yeah. and go back to the 4-3-3. So I think it gives them flexibility and options. And, and if you're Jurgen Klopp, you've got to be very happy with that. So really, they're just missing Naby Keita, aren't they? I mean, that, that, I'm just trying to work out what the difference is between personnel-wise and space-wise. Uh, because Naby Keita, uh, Henderson and Wijnaldum have, 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 been, have started most regularly, I think, this season. Um, it, it, what struck me when I saw this Liverpool line, it was it's very attacking, right? And I'm sure you can explain to me why that also works for, for defensive reasons. But uh, Gini Wijnaldum is a player who we see uh, make forays into the box very often. He can often be a link player between Firmino and the pivot, uh, you know, and he is often there, you know, he adds goals too. Um, Henderson in this game particularly seemed to almost sit in behind Alexander-Arnold. He seemed like a, when they had the ball rather than when they didn't, he seemed to kind of be a, uh, almost a right back in build up there was so much space in the middle again you just saw Wijnaldum was the was the player between that then back three with Henderson on the right uh, Wijnaldum in the middle and then Robertson and Alexander-Arnold were essentially up top in al- almost a top six or at least you know pressing on the pressing on the wings so I suppose what I want to ask then is uh, positionally what kind of difference does this make you, you say we understand defensively it means that Firmino and Salah are able to block off um, the the passes to to Man City's double pivot or Man City is it a double pivot with just two players? It is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Man City's double pivot in this game, what you say it was Rodri and, and, and Gundogan. Um, what other kind of changes does it make them? Because there was so much space in the middle. Did they just not need to have anyone there? I, I think they in, prob- in the first half. I should caveat yeah, that because the I, second I th- half was very different. The second half was very different. I, I think. Probably what they were looking to do, and you know, we always caveat this with the sense that we're not in the mind of the manager. So we don't know. We don't really know. But if you are 
trying to... I mean, okay, Man City are coming into this on a pretty poor run of form, you know, relative to, to how they've played over the last couple of years. Um, there's there's definitely a sense that, that going into this game, I think Liverpool had more momentum, although, you know, <laughs> they're, they're not firing on all cylinders either. Mm. If you can overwhelm the opposition, if you can pour people forwards, if you can get this really, really quick clinical passing. And, you know, again, we talk a lot with Liverpool about um, about the pressing and about the athleticism, but there was a real snappiness to the passing as well. They can move the ball incredibly quickly. Yeah, yeah. And that, that sort of surging forwards with all of these players, you're asking a defence who is still kind of settling in. Uh, you know, Diaz hasn't been there particularly long. Um, Laporte is sort of in and out of the side with injury or, or has been over the last kind of year or so. Maybe they just wanted to get so many people forwards that that they would they would kind of overwhelm yeah. the City defence and, and not allow City to ask their own questions. Well, there were so I think many defensively, passes in the first in the first half. Liverpool only passed the ball forwards. Yeah, it was remarkable, uh, and and the you know the, the the sort of wave after wave of attack, um, and this very minimal recycling. If if you compare it with Southampton, for example, when when Southampton get the ball into wide areas and the attack breaks down, they'll go all the way back, you know, right the way back to the goalkeeper if necessary, in order to retain position and be able to then move the ball forwards vertically at pace uh, and and try and get enough players into the into the box to create a problem. Liverpool were recycling it much, much less deeply than that. So they were going back, like you say, to Henderson, who was sort of tucking into that very deep inside right position. And and that was sort of it. And, you you know, you'd have the, the centre-backs making runs forwards, particularly Gomez. Um, it, it seemed to be an effort to just uh, suffocate City with the sheer volume of players that were, were in attacking positions. Now, obviously... <laughs> there were then problems, you know, City's goal came from the fact that, that after uh, Mane had missed his first press, all of a sudden Wijnaldum has basically got two players yeah. and a vast quantity of space to mark. Rock and a hard place. Yeah, so he, like, I mean, I think he kind of does the best he can under the circumstances, and, and obviously it's it's yeah. a great pass from De Bruyne and a great finish from Jesus, but... I guess, you know, that there is always going to be a risk with that sort of play. And I think Liverpool were banking on the fact that that if City couldn't progress the ball because Liverpool had so many players forwards, then that wasn't going to happen. Of course, City were able to on a couple of occasions and, you know, there was either a goal or danger. You know, the other thing that was really interesting about that goal, City's goal, is uh, I was taking notes during the game and I wrote down that Liverpool are in such small areas of the pitch when they were defending. All of their players were would, would fit into would fit into one half, for example, as in if you're looking at the pitch vertically rather than horizontally. So just before that goal, as you say, Mane misses the press, and then uh, when Aldum has a lot to cover, I remember thinking like I was going to ask you about the benefits of everyone being so tight together. You had the two banks of four, uh, and the left backs at this point of the game when the ball was on. Uh, on Man City's left, uh, the le- uh, Liverpool's left backs were basically uh, in the right-hand side of the pitch. Everyone was there in this little square, and all that was needed was a little pop over the top. Was one player to miss their miss their responsibility, and then mm. there was space. So at that point, <laughs> that's the point I was writing that down. And then the goal went in, which has kind of <laughs> changed my question. Uh, as you know, Gabriel is a lovely goal from Gabriel Jesus. An incredible bit of uh, of quality to turn with the ball. I thought it was very very special. 
Um, but that was that was really 25 minutes in or so. There was a first real opportunity that they had. Uh, so can you explain to me why Liverpool would want to defend uh, over such a small space of the pitch? I'm sure the reasons of compactness will be part of that. Um, and also what it was that, that Mane did. I say he missed the press, but what exactly did he do that caused that kind of chain reaction of space? So I think in answer to the first question, if if you're if you're looking at the touchline as being like a spare defender in the sense that you know if if an if an opposition attacker is against the touchline that denies them a passing option or movement because the ball will just go out of play if you can compress that space over then yes there is always a risk of a switch pass but by and large because of the way you're moving across as a defending team, you're automatically starting to cut quite a load of those opportunities out already. Uh, and also, particularly if the player is facing forwards or even slightly out towards the touchline, their whole body orientation is wrong in order to try and switch the play. So you are leaving a massive, massive gap, but you're doing it on a kind of percentage risk basis that it's much much harder to be able to turn inside and play a long pass across the pitch through traffic with pressure on you to free up the person on the far side of the space this is why teams who do look to stack one side of the pitch will try and rotate the ball across crisply in a series of passes using that kind of bucket shape Um, we've talked about this before with Bayern Munich for example rather than just bosh it really long if they're going to bosh it long it's the sort of Trent Alexander-Arnold pass where actually he's still advancing and and the the switch pass is has a degree of verticality to it you know he's able to yeah he's able to see the pitch ahead of him he's able to look across to his right hand side where either Mane or Robertson are pushing into that space and then he can hit across and forwards to it rather than being sort of tucked and hemmed in and then trying to carve out the space to hit it more sort of horizontally to the far side of the pitch. That is much, much harder. And this is what happened. This happened for Walker, right? Right, exactly. So, you know, it's doable, but it's tricky. And and I guess if you're you're also looking at a counter-pressing situation, the more players that you have in a smaller part of the pitch to affect a a press or a counter-press, the easier it is for you to then transition immediately into attack because it's not one person who's won the ball on their own and then has to try and find a pass straight away to someone some distance yeah. away or carry the ball themselves it's your Walker teammates are nearby right yeah. exactly so <laughs> the two yeah. with the two players arguably on that side if you're Wijnaldum and you're trying to defend Walker who's probably going to run past you and then De Bruyne who's just inside you and it's the first time he's really had any space in the whole game that's not a nice position to be in no no and 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 he's got quite a distance to make up on either of them as well so you know if that's if that's making distance up on on walker well yes he's just going to use his acceleration to go past you if you're trying to make up space on de bruyne that's giving him time to assess his options look for where the pass is going to be so you know when alden was just completely stranded at that point and couldn't really do very much else yeah, it looked a bit like Man. It's just taken Man City a really long time to work out that they could do this, or that this is this is a natural way, and as you say, maybe a difficult way to bosh the ball long and get get the accuracy there and find the opportunity. But is it fair to say that at this point, this is Manchester City exploiting the system that Liverpool are using 
Liverpool know that that is a potential uh, area of weakness if it is exploited, but it's, it's unlikely to be because of the difficulty of the pass? The short answer to that is yes, I would say. Um, the, the slightly longer answer is that I think that Liverpool's initial, I mean, it, you know, the way they started the game implies that they wanted to create this kind of overwhelming sense of pouring forwards. And so there was an assumption maybe that if they maintained that pressure, yes, these sorts of things could occur and the opportunity to to break into space for City might be there because of this less protected pivot. But at the same time, it's a risk that you take if you're pouring people forwards. And the hope is that you can do that to such an overwhelming degree that it doesn't really matter. And there was still so much for Jesus to do as well. It's not like it's not like it, I mean it's not like it was going to be a definite goal. Jesus was the only was it really he was the only option in the middle there and it was only his world-class touch that took it away from two defenders to to make the space to score. So it's yeah. it's hardly like you know you think that's okay if that's a vulnerability and the team will accept that because even if that pass is made we st- you know the probability is still that this isn't going to be a goal. Uh, I guess when you play a team like Manchester City and you have forwards of the quality of Gabriel Jesus, that can happen. Yeah, it can. I, uh, you know, it's difficult. You can't. That's the sort of, I guess, the one thing in football that you really can't mitigate for. You can, you can plan as much as you like, and you can have a well-drilled system, and you can, you know. But there will be players that are capable of producing a touch or a nutmeg or a bit of acceleration followed by a bit of of skill that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you just sometimes go. Well, there's not really anything that can be done at that point. Um, no. And and De Bruyne, you know, De Bruyne played not dissimilar passes to that into the box on a number of of different occasions. And sometimes there wasn't a runner there. There was one point where Allison came out and made a a good save. That that was arguably the cross of De Bruyne's that probably had the least chance of resulting yeah. in a goal because of <laughs> yeah. how Jesus was marked. But you know, it was brilliant. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Let me ask you this then. Um, well, I don't tell you what, we'll do the second half first because this, this is interesting. We'll, we'll come back and review the game as a whole because I have some questions more broadly about it. Um, the second half though, I, in fact, similarly as I said before when I wrote something down and then it changed immediately, at the end of the first half, I wrote this. I wrote, for a long time, top two clashes have been turgid and low scoring. And I say that pre-Liverpool and Man City. I'm remembering the years of, you know, when whenever Manchester United Chelsea was supposed to be exciting and then was nil-nil for about four years in a row. Um, it felt like there was a period where those big top six clashes were just a little, you know, negative. Uh, I wrote, this is not the case with these two teams and it's great. And then <laughs> the second half happened. <laughs> And uh, it just seemed to kind of uh, counter that point a little bit. Not that it took away from the from the excitement of the first half, but uh, what happened here, uh, Alex? Is is it a case? Do you think of two teams going back into the dressing room and their manager saying, "Okay, we need to calm down now," or it, did it just happen naturally as part of the game? I think I know you can't answer that. I can't answer it. I <laughs> so thank you for asking. I suppose it's very possibly both of those things. I mean that the particularly 
the first 25 minutes were played at a pace that is for all of the athleticism of you know top level professional footballers now sometimes you watch the the opening bit of a game and you think this isn't sustainable yeah. they cannot keep it's not just running but you can't keep thinking that well when your body is so deprived of oxygen it's just yeah. not possible physiologically and we know um, that from smoking and we we do know that from smoking <laughs> yes and so you know i suppose there's always a likelihood that when a game starts off in that kind of helter skelter way then it, it's difficult i think there's also a, a game management thing as well like you say you know Liverpool were clearly out of the traps as quickly as they could to try and overwhelm things. City were seeking to then get themselves back into the game. At that point, it would make sense for both managers, given this physiological thing, given that there weren't a huge number of changes. I think City only made one substitution um, to to kind of say, Let, let's try and calm it down. I mean, City always want to not calm it down, but but always want more possession, more touches of the ball, the ability to try and play through. Yeah. So it would be natural for them to to make more of an effort to institute their kind of standard game plan. Liverpool, I think I, I don't think this was a question of them of either side settling for a result. I don't think they went in at half time and went, Okay, one one, that that's cool, let's just turn it off now. No, absolutely. But but I don't think it's it's possible to sustain that level of effort and also once City started getting a little bit more time, a little bit more possession, then there's a natural retrenchment from Liverpool at that point going, okay, well, they're coming back into the game now. We need to be slightly less, uh, I don't want to say chaotic because it wasn't chaotic, but... but um, Appearance of chaos. Yeah, high octane, yeah. you know, like dynamic to the point of of worrying that it's not quite going to work. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. This is something that we saw from City uh, last season, I think, where they scored a, a huge number of goals in the first 10 minutes and a huge number of goals in the last 10 minutes and uh, comparatively fewer in the middle of the game. And it seemed like that it was a game management thing. That you, you know, you watch, you watch City play, they'd make a, perhaps not in team, perhaps not in games like uh, against teams like Liverpool, but uh, they'd make a huge effort in the first 10 minutes to try and kill the game off immediately. Uh, or they would think, uh, let's say if we're playing a team who are going to play the low block, if we can score as soon as possible, it's going to make the game a lot easier for us going forwards. Um, and uh, similarly, they would then make the same kind of effort in the last 10 minutes and scored a huge number of, of, of last-minute goals uh, to, to, to kill it off too. So it's it's very interesting approach to a game. I was just uh, curious as to how it would pan out in a, in a game like this. But um, let, I tell you what, let, 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 let's talk about the game broadly uh, from a result perspective because uh, the interesting way that I look at it is this. If you are a supporter, you watch that and you, and you think, okay, Liverpool probably had the better of the play. Or certainly at times... Within the game itself, they were the better team and they created more of the memorable moments. Another way of looking at it is that if De Bruyne had not uncharacteristically missed that penalty, that Manchester City probably would have won the game. And that is a, that's a kind of interesting perspective given the first. So if you are Pep Guardiola, let's go first. How do you leave that game feeling? I'm probably disappointed on the basis that City had more possession, they created more chances. Obviously, the penalty miss, you know, you, you do kind of expect that to be scored. And and I, while, while it's hard to say what a fair reflection of that game would have been because, you know, the two halves of football were extraordinarily different to lapse into that tired cliche. Um, 
it yeah, I, I kind of feel like if Liverpool had demolished City after the first 25 minutes and, and already established a 3-0 lead, that would have been very reasonable. But given the way that the City came back into the game and then seemed to get more of a hold onto it, for them not to be able to to go on and win it, particularly having missed the penalty, but but also I think you know playing at home and so on, it's arguably more disappointing for them. Klopp kind of chanced his arm with the first twenty five minutes, and it almost came off. Um, but I guess they're both disappointed. I mean, you know, this this, this is a very weird league season, isn't it? It's, it is weird. There's strange things happening. So I, you know, they're both going to be looking at this and thinking. Possibly for the first time looking at, at the table and not having a kind of, you know, divine right to assuming that they will ascend at some juncture. It's, you know, one of them should have put distance between each other and also started to move back up the table. There are too many teams who look like they're potentially not in the hunt, but but everything is so topsy-turvy that you kind of wonder, you know, is this going to be another of the seasons where something really quite unexpected happens? Which, to be fair, would be anything other than Liverpool or City winning the title. I struggled to listen to you for the last uh, uh, few minutes there, Alex, because uh, the first results are back for the the final stage of one of the COVID vaccines, and it offers 90% protection, apparently. People are very, very excited. You're, you're like four hours behind the news there mate well that's because I only follow football news and the best place to do that is The Athletic if you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO you'll get a vaccine against coronavirus that's not how it works at all but you will uh, get an endless supply of exceptional journalism look at how I turned that into an advert did you see that? did you watch that? that's professionalism right there I'm just very excited about the Covid vaccine I'm very excited I want to stick it into my eyes and I want to go outside and go I am a super hero please uh you know keep your bodily fluids away from me anyway because I, I don't want that uh but you know if you have to do bodily fluid on me because everything's going to be fine and it was a great news weekend and it's a good news day today and i think things are just i think everything is just going to be fine basically i think it's going to be fine you know yeah <sighs> anyway whatever it was a one-one draw who gives a shit it's boring game of football um <laughs> I'll come back in a second and we're going to talk about something else uh, as soon as as soon as I have worked out what that is. But for now, if, uh, I don't know, producer Adonis might have an advert to put in this space. If he doesn't, pff, doesn't matter, does it? Because there'll be a small musical interlude and um, then you'll come back. And if there is an advert, you know, just put up with it because we need it, the money. <laughs> This is a bad ending. There's, we don't. I mean, a, a you know, couple hey. of times during this podcast, you've been like that. The video of the guy doing the bowling in the indoor cricket, where he then just can't <laughs> stop, and he kind of very slowly but surely falls towards the ground and ends up kind of hitting the thing at the end. It's like you're teetering ever forward. <laughs> That's and, me, man. Yeah. I live on the edge. Uh, right. Okay. Back in a sec. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, 
everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Alex, your beloved Southampton were top of the league for, uh, I mean, I think overnight, weren't they, on, on Friday? Yes, they were, yes. And in fact, I might be right in saying that they were top of the league until Spurs beat West Brom on Sunday morning. Hello. Hello. Or Sunday and afternoon. Then, and then Leicester did the... Did the frog over as well? That's the, right, and now and now Liverpool are are ahead of us as well. So we are we are in fourth currently. Hey, top four, man! It's the I top mean, four. It's Champions uh, League, mate. That's what's happening. <laughs> when, whenever we talk about Liverpool uh, and Jurgen Klopp, we uh, occasionally bring up uh, Ralph Hasenhüttl, and I would like you to explain why. Um, right. Well, I suppose because um, they're both very tall. Uh, they both have German as a native language. No, it's, didn't you say they they went to the same school? That's what you're always saying, um, like a like a you know I Westminster th- or something. They yes, no, they were both at Eton, um, yes. where they where they met Seb, um, who obviously went to Eton as well. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. Let's mock him while he's not here. Do you know? <laughs> I've been telling people for a long time that Seb went to Oxford University, and he didn't. <laughs> I just thought he did for like no reason. Because he's never told me he did. I mean, well, if that, that isn't like reverse mistake. kind of class, you know, warfare or something, yeah. uh, that's just me projecting onto a posh man who stood next to you who did go to Oxford, uh, that he went to, he must have gone to Oxford as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, Seb probably won't be listening to this because he doesn't care what we have to say. But <laughs> if he is, I'm very sorry. I have told many, many people <laughs> that you did that. I mean, I can't count the number of people and people who it matters to as well, like, you know, employers and uh, not employers. That's going too far. But uh, basically, I've told a lot of people that you are uh, Oxbridge educated and uh, and you're not and you're not. But people, uh, who, still people who went you. to people who went to Oxford will always tell you they went to Oxford. Yeah. So I if he's never you told you, no, then then. He, I mean that's your first mistake, really, because it, it would he would have dropped it into conversation at some juncture because it's inevitable. Yeah, I mean I'm just surrounded by people who did go to Oxford, so I just assume right. that, that everyone yeah. did. But hey, no, that's, Seb, that's fair. Sorry about that, mate. Uh, not that it would have been a bad thing, but uh, there are a lot of people out there now that think that something significant happened in your life that didn't. So, <laughs> uh, uh, but we've reversed it now, so it's fine. It's okay. Uh, the, the truth I can't is why out I interrupted there. Interrupted you. Just carry on. Um, so the actual answer to that question is that they, they, I think they did their coaching badges together. Um, and there are clear stylistic similarities in the way that their teams play. They're both pressing and counter-pressing sides. Um, but I think, I think Hasenhutl, you know, he's starting to, people are talking about Hasenhutl now as potentially the best coach in the Premier League outside of the top six big clubs. Um, Arguably, he's he's better than some of the coaches in the top six big clubs. Hello. Uh, Hello. I'm not sure that it's entirely true. I still think Nuno at Wolves is 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 as good a coach. Um, you just don't want to curse it. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, as soon as Tifo does a video on a team, they implode, don't they? So Southampton's coming out next week, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, there, there was one video that a script I wrote that we didn't even publish because the implosion happened so quickly that we couldn't <laughs> even get it out on time. Um, it'll come back now, though. It's fine. They've got they've got good now. again. They've they're done all good. right now. 
Um, but no, I think I think the interesting thing about Southampton that the the reason so this game against Newcastle, um, which I also wrote about for the Athletic because Dan Sheldon was on holiday, is that there were two really significant changes. Danny Ings um, is injured. Ryan Bertrand is injured, uh, and they're both key players. The benefit of the way that Hassan Hootel has set the side up uh, is that they are so well drilled. And their approach alters now, certainly this season and also towards the end of last season, alters so little on a game-by-game basis that the players that were able to come in, Theo Walcott moved from left wing up to take the Danny Ings role and Jack Stevens, who is a centre-back and a, usually a right-sided centre-back, came in at left-back. But the system is so clear and so well rehearsed that actually a few minor tweaks aside, it made very, very little difference. Um and I think that's the real benefit with, yes, okay, sometimes if you have a system that's really clear, teams are able to work it out. Uh, and, you know, we're not going to see Southampton finish in the top four. I'm pretty confident of that um, because they they just aren't quite good enough. But it also does give them a great degree of resilience when Danny Ings, who scored five and assisted two in the last seven games, can drop out. Thea Walcott comes in and does a really, really fine job some of his finishing aside uh, and if you watch the Newcastle game having watched the previous Southampton games the patterns of play the movement with and without the ball really really similar like it was almost no difference um, and that's you know you contrast that with for example a Manchester United where they can get incredibly good results um, I'm not saying that the Everton victory was an incredibly good result, but it you know it was decent, particularly given the fact they've been in the Europa League on Thursday. But they blow very hot and cold, and part of that is because clearly, whether it's a distinct lack of what is our best formation and what is our best selection of players, or there's too much of a sense of we will be reactive and we'll set up on the basis of what the opposition are doing. So here we'll have a midfield diamond, here we'll have a, a 4-2-3-1. But it's too chop and change in terms both of players and of system. Um, and that kind of continuity is is what takes you through difficult games. Because difficult... And the game against Newcastle is a difficult game for Southampton because, you know, they, we haven't taken points off them for quite a while, I think. Uh, and they play very, very deep and they, they play with five at the back, which is not ideal. Um, in terms of breaking teams down but that you know the well-drilled quality of that system meant that that the you know the players just knew what to do there's a confidence that comes from playing in that kind of style if you look at someone like Klopp like we talked about before he can change a system but the the philosophy of the way that team plays is still sufficiently similar the roles that the individuals play within that system is still sufficiently similar that there is a confidence in that the, you know they go out knowing what it is they're supposed to be doing and i do sometimes worry with some other teams that there's too much chopping and changing there's not enough continuity i believe you said that manchester united were in the europa league on thursday night i did was I wrong about that? They were in the Champions League on Wednesday night. Oh, that, sorry. They got back on Thursday morning, didn't they? Yes. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely yes. right. But hey, hey, that hey. accusation is two years out. They were they were in Bashak Shahir, though. You know, they were in Istanbul. So yeah. that's that's a bit of a journey, I think. Not well, I, 
yeah, I mean, Solskjaer was saying how he had um, how he'd lobbied to have the game pushed back to Sunday, but because it had been decided it was a live game on uh, BT Sport, it was immovable. Um, and that that yeah. does give them very little time to to turn around and prepare. Seems to make any difference with Man United, though, does it? Well, that's kind of the issue, isn't it? You know, they, I tell you they, what, no, let's not because we did this last week, <laughs> okay. and absolutely not. We're talking about Southampton. I'm going to say this instead, right? I'm going to do this thing uh, that I do when I look at the the tiny, minuscule clubs like Southampton, the ones that don't matter, that aren't even real. Yeah, not really, but. I'm going to do the thing where I look at their manager and I think that's a good manager. Maybe he could play a, a bit a better club. That's the that's the honest way that my mind looks at it. And I'm sorry to you and to all the Southampton fans um, because that that's obviously not true. But it's a bit like I'm you know. Uh, what's a good analogy? A bit like I'm the boss of a of a of a music record label, yeah. And I haven't got anything going on myself, but I'm looking at uh, the new, you know, the new Coldplay band. <laughs> that hey, they're cool. I'll sign them up, and I'll get, I'll take them. That's not a good analogy. What I'm saying is this: where uh, Hasenhüttl presumably has an exciting future. Yeah, I should have just said that. <laughs> that like that one line was enough, wasn't it? That probably would have worked. Um, yes, he does. He does have an exciting future. I, I guess he's fifty-three, um, so he's kind of getting into that age now where he's got Gonna enough die. experience. <laughs> Not with a vaccine. <laughs> no, um, that's true. That's true. And uh, you know, he's he's taken a club to the top of the Bundesliga for three weeks and, and managed there for two seasons with RB Leipzig. Um, he's done really, really well at Southampton. He's got a side promoted into the Bundesliga as well. So he's yeah. he's ticking a lot of the boxes for somebody whose next move is going to be a significant one. Yeah. Having said that, I like his face. Um, I like his face too. I think he's I think he's like he's a slightly less genial Klopp in that way. I think there's yeah. a slightly harder edge to him, but he he can he could be, be a museum director, jovial and what. He could, he looks like a like a like a mid European museum director, an art okay. collector kind of kind like of guy. Tristram Hunt. <laughs> I wasn't really going that in that direction, he's, but, yeah, is, but he's the VNA, isn't he? Uh, wasn't it? Wasn't he? Oh, I'm thinking of Jeremy Hunt. Sorry, go on. <laughs> I thought you okay. were suddenly saying you're thinking of the former MP. health minister. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Um, the so I, I like I think. I think it's possible. I think the issue with Hassan Hootel is simply that he, like Klopp, uh, has has a way of playing that takes time to bed in. Um, he's not going to come in like, say, a Carlo Ancelotti and very quickly work out how to maximise what's already there. He's going to come in and say, I want to play this particular system and this particular style and half of you are fine for that and half of you aren't so it's going to take a bit of time to build up to that so you need the club that takes him on to be the sort of club that is prepared to give a manager a reasonable amount of time I think there are aspects of his play for example the way that Southampton recycled the ball someone made a really astute point on Twitter and I can't remember who it was for the life of me, or maybe it was on the Athletic. Um, but it was it was a, a listener slash reader who wondered whether Southampton were playing better because they didn't have fans. Mm. And and the reason for that is that, like I said before, when Southampton attack, 
quickly in the wide areas, if they can't immediately exploit the situation, they recycle the ball all the way back and start again. And some Southampton fans don't get the point of that. And so they get annoyed and frustrated because it seems like we're wasting good opportunities in the final third. We're not. It's the right thing to do. But the the alleviation of pressure by not having fans there might be helpful. Now, if you're taking that to a really big side that requires constant attacking football and high degrees of pressure and playing with a kind of ego, that isn't necessarily going to work. So there, there would need to be adaptations. I, I could see Hassan Hootl probably of other Premier League clubs, the one he clearly would most likely work at would be Liverpool. Yeah. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I, I mean, I think I think there were actually aspects like I, I texted you earlier that, that the um, the way that Liverpool were pressing and marking was not dissimilar to how Southampton do it in the way that they were using the, the sort of four-man front line. Um, but it would be a difficult transition. The other obvious choice would be for him to go back to Germany. Um, and I think it's it's possible that, for example, when Nagelsmann moves on to a bigger club, as is inevitable, maybe Hassan Hootl will go back to Leipzig. Yeah. Okay. Well, I like him anyway. I like his face. And uh, I like some of the other things about him too. Well, what are the other things you like about him? He looks very built. Yeah, he's a big bugger, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. he looks kind of physically intimidating. And I like that. Yeah. No, I think that's very reasonable. I'm very hungry, um, so I've got to go. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, Craig's just sent me a message saying, have I done the pictures for a script? And I haven't, so oh, okay. I well, should probably do you that. You will also have received an email inviting you to a meeting about sensible oh. transfers. So, oh, God. Uh, you know, okay. looks very happy, exciting. Happy days. Very exciting for January. Listeners, we adore you. Thanks for joining us today. And um, hope you're well. Hey, hope you had a good news weekend. Hope the news, uh, the out of date now news of the the, the vaccine, the vaccine is uh, is going straight into your uh, arteries or wherever they put it. I don't know the wrist. And um, I hope everyone is safe and and uh, and well out there. And to any of our listeners from Wales, hey, enjoy not being in a lockdown. You've just had one for 17 days or whatever it was. Uh, so please go and frolic safely. Everyone in England, of course, stay in your homes. And uh, everyone elsewhere, just do whatever you want. I don't, I don't know the rules for the other places, so I can barely keep up with the, the rules for, for two places. Also, if you're unsure of the rules, I'm sure if you visit your government websites, uh, I'm sure there'll be um, you know, uh, informative leaflets or information available online if you just want to check in on the rules. But the uh, safest thing to do is uh, just copy what Alex does when there isn't a pandemic. Just stay inside. Don't talk to anyone. Uh, don't go near <laughs> anybody. Try to not exchange bodily fluids. And, uh, you know, just uh, get a Scout subscription and don't ever watch the football live. Yeah, I endorse this message. Okay, and also uh, the other thing Alex would do is visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. For £1 per week, you can have full access to The Athletic. Goodbye. Goodbye.